again and welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento. I'm your host, Max Connor, and I am joined once again this week by our new co-host, Neil Little. Neil, how's it going? I am doing well. Happy to be on here for my second time. I'm enjoying it so far. And uh, I got to say, I am very excited about our guest this week, but I also have a bone to pick with them. And and I'm well aware I am completely deflecting my lack of self-control here. (laughs) But every time I go out to eat, I have to have a little conversation with myself. I look in the mirror and have a very, you know, stern look. And I say, hey, you're going out for the food. Do not fill up on the bread. And I have to tell myself that like multiple times. Like, hey, look, you're here. Have some self-control. You'll be good. And and usually I'm good about it. You know, we'll get the menus, order appetizers and drinks. And, you know, I'm in a good spot. And then the bread person walks by, whether it's the server or whoever it is. And they drop that bread right in front of me. And all my self-control goes out the window. I just start diving right into it like I'm Michael Phelps. Like I am just dunking it, taking it. I don't even care about the other people at the table, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and, of course, none of this is my fault. All right? I'm just going to put that out there. Like I blame everyone else. You put the bread in front of me. You put down that olive oil from Zeus himself. Like this is on you and just everything else is collateral damage. Do you ever have that problem when you go out to eat? Uh, Yeah. I mean, especially if it's warm. If it's warm, I've got no shot whatsoever. No. And I love also when they have the mix of the really good olive oil and the really good balsamic vinegar. But our guest today is an olive oil producer from Winters of a quality that probably even pairing it with balsamic vinegar would be an absolute no-no because this is a level of olive oil that most of us have never really tried. And our guest's name is Karen Bond of Bondolio Olive Oil. And so, Neil, we went and interviewed her at her company, but not Bondolio Olive Oil, the other company, which is a medical technology company that she is the CEO of, that she started with her husband, Malcolm, back in 1990. And it's a medical technology software company that helps measure the quality of care for healthcare companies. There's no simpler way to describe Karen than the fact that she's just an absolute boss lady. Really unbelievably kind and welcoming and sweet as can be. But in hearing her story, she is an absolute boss. Karen moved to California while working for SmithKline as an entry-level salesperson. She was the first female and also the first non-engineer in the company in that position. They were making ultrasonic transducers for the medical industry. Her sales territory began in Japan and then brought it out to Europe, and soon she was the worldwide sales manager for that division. Like I said, boss. Absolutely. Just impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, we could literally go back and interview Karen and do an entire podcast about her life and business at SmithKline and then starting Cedaron, where they got started from a grant from NASA, which is probably all you need to know about where that company started. It was fascinating, but we're here to talk about olive oil because this is a food podcast. So without talking too much more about Karen or giving too much more away... Let's jump into our interview with Karen Bond, the co-owner of Bondolio Olive Oil. All right, so we're here with Karen Bond at her other business, Cedar Rock <laughs> Medical, here in Davis, California, in their conference room. Karen, thanks so much for being here on the Dine One Six. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for inviting me. So, I know you've said on your website and you've said in interviews that Italian food is baked into your genes. So tell us a little bit about 
the role food played in your life growing up? Well, food has always been important to me. Uh, my mother was a good cook. I always tell everyone I'm a nice Italian girl from South Jersey. Um, mm -hmm. And I always cooked my whole life. And I can't imagine, I hear people say, oh, food's not important to me. I can't imagine having food not in my life. Yeah, it's, we interviewed a chef the other day and that first, that first question, he said, well, I'm from a Sicilian family from New Jersey. And we were sort of like, oh, well, enough said. We already know what, how, yeah. how important food is to you. So had you ever worked in restaurants or food production of any kind growing up? Yes, yeah. I did. When I was in college, I was a, a waitress in several different restaurants, uh, a restaurant in the Pocono Mountains um, for the summer. And when I was in graduate school, I worked in a very high-end seafood restaurant. Okay. Uh, made lots of money being a waitress. Yeah. It was one of the best ways to make money. Absolutely. <laughs> Where was that restaurant? Where did you go to graduate school? The University of Pittsburgh. Okay. So you worked in restaurants. What, at what point did you realize that you wanted food to be a part of your career and profession going forward? It never was in my mind to be in the food industry. We purchased a farm in 1986 in Winters, and it was an almond orchard. And we would spend thousands of dollars each year maintaining the farm, uh, harvesting the almonds and selling them to Blue Diamond. But we were lucky if we got a check for $200. Wow. <laughs> At the end of the year, cow. it really was a money loser. Uh, we only have 10 acres, and so you really cannot make money for, on almonds on a 10-acre farm. The plants uh, were planted in 1947, so they were quite old, very low producing. Mm. And we pulled the almond orchard in 1999 to plant new varieties that were less disease resistant and higher production. But during the millennium, we happened to go to Italy for Christmas, and we stayed in a villa east of Naples. And this villa was over a 1,000 years old, and the owner, just as we were leaving, asked us if we wanted to taste her fresh olive oil. I had never tasted fresh olive oil. She said it was made the night before, and I said, of course, because I've always <laughs> yeah. cooked with olive oil. Sure. And so she took us to the farm, and all the trees were over a 1,000 years old. They were big, gnarly trees. Uh, they were still producing. There are many trees in Italy that are over a 1,000 years old. In fact, there's one 2,500 years old in Italy, in Tuscany. And she took us to the stone building with a wood-burning stove. She toasted some bread, poured this wonderful-looking green liquid on the top of the bread and put some sea salt. I tasted it. I fell in love and said, this is what we have to do on our farm. Wow. Simple thing. It makes it work sometimes. Yeah. Salt, olive oil, and toasted bread. It's yeah. better than that. Now, when you made the transition from almonds over to olives, what was that like? Did you have to tear everything out and raise the land, or was it? Well, we had well already taken up? the almonds you had already out. Taken them out. Okay. Um, and so the land. So we had to go on a two-year mission to find out what 
kind of olive trees we wanted to plant because there's many varietals and most of the ones that are in this area are Spanish, like Mission, Arbequina. There are some Italian varietals, but they're mostly from Tuscany and there are some French in the area. But no one really had Sicilian, uh, but we didn't, we didn't really know what kind of olive oil we wanted to make. So my husband, my husband did a postdoc in Italy, so speaks fluent Italian, and we go to Italy quite often. And so he would go to grocery stores, farmers markets, we would visit olive oil farms, and he would put them in brown paper bags and then do a tasting in the evening with me to find out what I liked. And I'd say, I like that one, I don't like that one. And it turns out I picked the same olives the, all the time. Hmm. Consistency they, is key. Yes, and so they all turned out to be Sicilian olives that were Nocciolata, Bianca Lia, and Sarasuola olives. And so we tried to find them in the U.S. and they didn't exist. Uh, so we got an import license from the state as well as the feds to import olives. And oh, the first time we imported, a friend of ours in Italy recommended a farmer who said that they had shipped to the U.S. because there's a certain criteria uh, plants have to meet to be shipped into the U.S. They have to have no soil. And so they have to be grown hydroponically. Wow. And so the little baby trees are about two inches tall with roots and maybe one or two leaves. Um, we got a call from uh, the FDA in San Francisco and said, uh, you need to come down to the airport. We have a problem at the Department of Agriculture. And they took us through a series of clean rooms and opened the box and showed that there was soil on the roots. And what they did was open an incinerary and threw them in the incinerary. Oh, my gosh. And so that was kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. We cried. Um, oh, man, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> but I tell people... We didn't give up on the vision. I tell people we grew up in the time of delayed gratification. That was a good thing. Uh, yeah. And so we knew what we wanted to do, and so we had to find another grower who could prove to us that they had shipped into the U.S. And so we finally found that grower, and they made the trees for us. In the meantime, we talked to the University of Florence, and they recommended that we add a fourth tree, the Pendolino, which is a pollinating tree. Even though olives are self-pollinating, they say if you have a pollinating tree, it will give you a higher production. And so we did that also. So we imported four different varieties. And it was interesting that they arrived on Christmas Eve yeah. on a Lufthansa flight around 2 p.m. And, of course, everything's going to close at 5, and they're, you know, these little baby trees are packed in an, an envelope with vermiculite. And so if they weren't going to last for three more days because everything was going to be closed for three days. And so... We're praying that the trees would clear customs and get to the FDA in time to clear. And so my husband was waiting at the Department of Agriculture, 
and it was like 10 to 5 when the trees arrived. (laughs) (laughs) Make you earn it. Yeah, that's right. And so we were able to get our trees, and my husband brought them home. And on Christmas Day, friends and family came over, and we planted 1,250 trees in two-inch pots. I cooked dinner while everyone was doing that. And they had to be quarantined, so we had to put them in a greenhouse. And every couple months, the feds and the Department of Agriculture in California would show up with their badges, pull a tree out of its little pot, and take it with them, but never tell us anything. And after two and a half years, they cleared the trees that they were disease-free and pest-free. In the meantime, we had to transplant all of those trees from two-inch pots to five-gallon pots. So can you imagine planting 1,250 trees? No, I cannot. (laughs) Into (laughs) five-gallon pots. That's why you have kids. (laughs) (laughs) And so after two and a half years, we were able to put them in the ground. Man, the things you don't think about. I thought of how big a story it would be to get trees from Italy and just plant them in winters, but no expectation that it would be that much work and those that many hoops to jump through, which makes sense. Certainly, you don't want to plant something that's going to spread disease and kill trees, but Yeah, a lot wow. of people cheat and bring in plants, and that's why we have some insects that don't belong here. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Foreign species, yeah. So how long does it take from getting your FedEx box of treelings to a producing olive oil tree? How long does that process take? Well, the moment we put them in the ground, they actually produced a few olives on each tree. Because by that time, they were about this big. And so we did our first harvest. I think that was 2011, probably 2010. And my husband, we got about 300 pounds And my husband said, well, I need to know whether this is any good. And so he made his own mill. And we milled the olives ourselves. He went to Home Depot and bought a garbage disposal and a mortar mixer. Because you have to crush the olives. And Mm -hmm. so the garbage disposal worked. And then you have to mix them to, to get the enzymes working to, or the oil to come out. And then you have to press them. So we had a hydraulic press that we put fiber between. And then we got about a gallon worth of oil. We taste it was good. And we go, okay, we can go further. <laughs> wow. So in the time between planting the trees and researching the trees, were you also visiting mills and learning what you would need to do long-term, how to make the olive oil? Yes, we visited, uh, well, we weren't planning on getting a mill originally. Okay. Because there are mills in the area, uh, but we were, it was really funny that we would ask people, does anyone teach anyone about making olive oil? (laughs) Is there a YouTube channel or something? (laughs) And everybody would say, no, in Italy we would ask, it turns out that in Italy, they don't need to to have classes on how to make olive oil because it's just been passed down from family member to family, yeah. from generation to generation. They all know how to make olive oil. It's just genetics at that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Where here in the U.S., it's relatively new. You know, the Spanish were making olive oil, but as far as an industry, it's relatively new. Hmm. 
It's just been in the last 10 years that olive oil has gotten more popular in California for farmers. It's a great plant because it's a drought-resistant plant, uh, so it needs very little water. In fact, you can dry farm olives and you'll get a lower production. If you give them a little bit of water throughout the summer, you'll have a higher production. So it's a great plant for California with the drought situation and the water situation in California. And more farmers should be planting olives versus walnuts and almonds and, and rice because they take a ton of water yeah. to produce. That makes wow. complete sense. I never thought about that. Yeah, and you said they're self-pollinating as well, so they're, you know, then I imagine you don't you're need not, bees, right? You're not importing a beehive to come in and, yeah. right? But it turns out that when we started looking at mills, we kept on asking each of the mill manufacturers in Italy, "Does anyone teach?" And finally, someone said, "Oh, there's a class in California," and we go, "Really? Where?" At UC Davis. Of course. <laughs> we didn't know that. And so it turns out that UC Davis has the only olive oil center in the world that was set up to teach people how to make olive oil in California. So they offer sensory classes, pruning classes, how to farm olives, um, how to harvest, uh, how to mill and so we've taken a lot of classes at UC Davis to learn how to mill. Do they have a mill at UC Davis, a modern no, mill? Or, okay. No. They always use Bondolio for their class. Do they really? Yes. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our first year, we used the mobile mill. The second year that we had a harvest, which was 2011, there was a mobile mill that would come up from Temecula that would offer milling services to farmers that were doing olives. And their miller was David, and he was from Argentina. Fabulous miller, he taught us a lot. He saw the quality of our olives, because most olives have fruit fly, ours didn't have any fruit fly. And he says, I'll take really good care of your olives. And he made a fantastic oil for us that year. And I said, well, we need to enter the Yolo County Fair for our olive oil to see what we have. And Malcolm said, no, we need to go to New York. And New York is the most prestigious olive oil competition in the world. It's about 1,200 uh, olive oil producers from around the world that enter. And we entered our very first year, and we won gold our very first year in New York. We also won Best in Show in Yolo County, and we won Best in Show in Napa County. That's amazing. Those are uh, some pretty big awards. Yeah. For our very first year. But we, it was a very unusual blend for California, but the olive oil was really good. The next couple years, we used other mills because the, the mobile mill didn't come up anymore because there were more producers in Southern California, mm. so they didn't have time to come to Northern California. And I was never completely satisfied. I said, I want our olives milled like David did our olive oil. And um, one year, I was watching... And the temperature was rising on the olive mill. You, in order to be extra virgin, you have to mill 
under 82 degrees Fahrenheit or 23 degrees centigrade to be considered extra virgin. And I saw the temperature rising and I said, you need, you need to slow things down because things are getting too hot. I don't want my oil uh, ruined. And they shut the door on me. No. And, and I'm saying to myself, these are my olives. This is my olive oil. Why aren't they listening to me? And from that point on, we, and I was crying. And, and Malcolm says, we're buying our own mill. And so that's why we bought our own mill. Now you control the complete cycle. And so, and, and so we do. And what's the beauty of that is when we milled with other people, we would have to set up an appointment. If something happened and you couldn't make it, you'd lose your slot. And you may not get another slot. And you have to mill, pick as fast as you can. In the early days, we could pick everything in one day, but was rushing to get to the mill. And because we did not want our olives sitting overnight, because the longer you wait to mill, the quality of your olive oil goes down. Mm. And I wanted the freshest olive oil. So it would be sitting there, you know, when we start at 7 a.m. In, you know, in the first week of November. And by the time you get to the mill, eight hours have passed. And I thought that was too long also to wait. Even though we were continuing to win awards, I just was not happy. I wanted the highest quality oil possible that we could produce. With our own mill, those olives are milled within 90 minutes of picking. Wow. That's fast. So, so from picking to edible, like poured on your bread olive oil, how, how long is that process? About 45 minutes. Wow. Okay, it's funny. In my mind, I'm you know I'm thinking like wine, like age the age the grapes, let it sit, and all those things. It is the complete opposite. It's get it in, get it out. Yes, and olive oil is not like wine. It doesn't age well. Interesting. Oh, you should always use olive oil as fast as you can. A good olive oil is going to last two years, but a so-so olive oil. It may not be extra virgin after three months or six months. Mm. Uh, depends on your chemical analysis. Um, to be qualified for extra virgin, we have to get our oil certified. And we get ours certified by the California Olive Oil Council. And you have to send your olive oil to a lab for testing. And California has the highest standard in the world, even higher than the International Olive Oil Council because California has really tried very hard to make really good olive oil. And so we get it, we send it to the lab. As long as it meets the qualifications from that lab, then we can send it on to the California Olive Oil Council to their tasting panel, where then they grade your olive oil and say whether it's extra virgin or not. If it has one defect, and you can taste defects in oil, it is no longer considered extra virgin. It is considered virgin. If it has more than two defects, it's called Lepante or lamp oil. <laughs> Quick downgrade. Yeah. Right. So Karen went on to tell us about the entire process of how Bondolio gets from the olive on the branch to the oil in the bottle. 
and it's quite the process. And if you want to see a little bit of it, we're going to link a couple videos in the show notes. One is from Bondolio's website. Another is one we found online that shows the entire process of making extra virgin olive oil, which is really interesting and it's a visual process, which is why I'm going to run through it really quickly for you here. So first, all of Bondolio's olives are hand-picked. They're picked straight from the tree and put into a bin, and if they hit the ground, they don't use them. Once they have four of these really big bins filled up, they bring them into the mill and they start the milling process. They don't want the olives to sit off the tree for more than 90 minutes before they start milling them into olive oil. They drop them into these big hoppers and they ride up an escalator where they're washed with jets to clean the olives. Karen called it the olive jacuzzi. Then they go into the hammer mill, which crushes the olives, and then they're dumped into what's called the malaxer, which is a big machine that agitates the mashed olives, which starts to help the oil bind together. After that, something that's really unique to Bondolio and a technology they brought to California is they go through a separator where they're actually able to separate the meat of the olives from the pits. And the pits can then be repurposed and used for hardwood pellets and all sorts of other uses. And even the meat from the olives can be used for cattle feed. A lot of olive mills just crush the entire olive and mix it and then spin out the oil after the fact. So after it's separated, the mix goes into what's called a decanter, which is a big horizontal centrifuge that starts to spin the oil out. And then it's moved to another decanter, which is a vertical centrifuge, which spins the oil and out comes the pristine oleo novo in only about 45 minutes from the time it was an olive. And that is unfiltered fresh olive oil. But Neil Bondolio has decided to take their olive oil even one step further. That's right. Karen also explained to us how they filter their olive oil like the farmers in the Chianti region of Italy. And it is now actually a requirement for them there to filter their olive oil. It is not common for them to filter olive oil in California, which makes Bondolio kind of rare in this aspect. There is a myth out there that filtering your olive oil takes the flavor away. But Karen says that's totally wrong. They're just using the wrong filter paper. Karen said they tested numerous different paper thickness and filters and found the one that best fit their goal. Filtering actually brightens the olive oil and creates a crystal clear oil instead of a cloudy one. Unfiltered olive oil will last three to six months, whereas filtered olive oil can last up to two years. Which is huge because Bondolio's not a big farm. It's only 10 acres. So having their oil last longer is really important. Now, they collect about 30 to 38,000 pounds of olives in a harvest, which makes about five to 800 gallons of olive oil, which seems like a lot, but it's nothing compared to large farms. And this whole process is only done once a year. One big harvest, that's it. And so Karen continued to tell us a little bit more about what makes their olive trees and their farm unique, right down to the way they set up their farm in the first place. We've designed our orchard in the old-fashioned way, the old Italian way, that the trees are planted 25 feet apart. We heavily prune them, and they're bowled out in the center. The goal is looking into an olive tree, you should be able to have a bird fly straight through it. And that reduces pest. We don't have fruit fly on our farm because of the way we grow our olive trees. The closer you plant them, 
And if you don't heavily prune them in the inside, you're going to have fruit fly because fruit fly likes moisture. And so it creates humidity in that tree and it will attack the olives. And you can taste fruit fly in olive oil if a farm has too much fruit fly. You, you brought up four olives earlier. Do you mill all of those together? Or you mentioned one being like a flowering plant or, or the they... Pollinator. The pollinator, I'm sorry. The, the pendolin, the, the Bianca Lea nocciolata and the Sarasuola olives are our estate blend, and so we only put those in our estate blend. The Pendolino we harvest separately, and it's our last day that we mill, because we, we buy fresh, whole, organic mandarins and throw them in at the same time that we're putting the olives in, and we make a beautiful mandarin orange oil. Mm. That sounds delicious. Yeah. It's wonderful on fish, ice cream. My favorite dish for Christmas is halibut, and what I do is pan coat that halibut, pour that orange oil, put a little bit of salt and bake it, and it's fabulous on the halibut. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. It does. Have you made an olive oil cake? Yes. With that? Yeah, yes. of course. I took a cooking class in Sicily to how to make the olive oil cake, and... Yeah, it's fabulous in cakes. Yeah. Oh, man. That sounds good. I'm getting Go really ahead. hungry right now. I know. I just got this right before lunch. Great timing. So you've talked about the awards that you've won. What do judges look for when they're looking for an award-winning olive oil? What, what are their requirements and expectations and so forth? Well, they grade on three things. Pungency, fruitiness, oh, and bitterness. And... The pungency is the peppery taste that you taste at the back end of your throat. But there are so many different olive oils in the world that, and so many different varieties that it depends on what kind it is. You know, any kind can get a gold medal. It just depends on whether or not it's made well. And I think they judge on three those three things, the fruitiness, pungency and bitterness but I think it's whether it tastes fresh like people describe our oil as tasting like fresh cut grass a bit of artichoke tomato and a little bit of almond and we have a signature take uh, signature to our oil which is unusual for California olive oil we have a 10 second delay. When you first taste, you taste the butteriness and the smoothness of our oil. Then about 10 seconds later, you get that back of the throat pepperiness, which most of the time you get that immediately. For some reason, ours has a 10 second delay. It's kind of a signature of our oil. That's kind of fun. I like that you have your own signature to it. Yeah. And we've entered the California State Fair twice and when best in show twice at the California State Fair. Wow. We don't enter every single year our oil. We just won a good food award that it's a foundation that Alice Walters started um, from Chez Panisse. That's a big name. Um, <laughs> well, Chez Panisse does use our oil. Um, but they give food awards out every year to artisan producers, and we are certified organic, and that's one of the things they look for is certified organic. 
But we feel very honored that Chez Panisse does use our oil. The Zuni Cafe does a an Oleo Novo dinner every single December, and they use our oil in their Oleo Novo dinners. Those are some big clients. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was actually going to be my next question, is if you had... Mine as well. So are there any restaurants in town or locally that you sell to as no. well? No. Um, we're very particular who we sell to. We don't make enough to serve restaurants. We're not a food service oil. Ours is a finishing oil. And most restaurants can't afford our oil. Sure. And in my opinion, most restaurants use horrid olive oil. <laughs> that it's old and rancid. Um, <laughs> uh, I really get annoyed. You know, I rate on TripAdvisors all the time. You know, I probably have almost 600 reviews of restaurants on TripAdvisors, and I'm very critical about olive oil. If they serve bad olive oil, I let them know that they should upgrade their olive oil because there are there is wonderful food service olive oil that is just as inexpensive as what they're buying, that they can get really good food service oil, mm -hmm. like Seca Hills or Corto or California Olive Ranch. They make great food service oils, and they do it right. They really care about their olive oil, and it really annoys me that restaurants buy awful olive oil. Meadowood used to use our oil before they started making their own, but we're very, very particular if we sell to a restaurant. Yeah. Now, could you elaborate there? You mentioned the cooking oils versus finishing oils. What are the differences there in terms of your oil as opposed to others? Well, you can cook with our oil, but I don't recommend it. I do it because I have my own supply. But I buy <laughs> a lot of other people's olive oils, too, because there's wonderful olive oils out there. It is like wine that you can pair olive oil to food. But a food service means that they're probably a large producer, that they make, you know, maybe... 200,000 gallons a year, and they can afford to sell their olive oil at a less expensive price. And uh, they have different grades. They have some of their best that they'll sell at higher prices, and they'll have a lower grade that they sell for food service. Ours is one grade. We only make one olive oil a year for our estate blend, and so we charge $40 a bottle for a 500 milliliter, which is fairly expensive for California. Sure, yeah. And so I tell people a finishing oil is after it's been cooked over minestrone soup, over beans, over fish, over meat, over ice cream for salads. You mentioned yeah. the ice cream twice now. I'm going to have to try that. I've never thought of olive oil over an ice cream. And I I can tell you that Zuni Cafe made a wonderful dark chocolate sorbet and put our estate blend over that with a little bit of sea salt, and it was to die for, and I wanted more. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds uh, spectacular. But a lot of people uh, put it over vanilla ice cream. They use our orange oil over vanilla ice cream. It tastes like a, an orange sickle. Yeah. Uh, remember, we used to have them when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Man, 
orange olive oil over vanilla ice cream. I wouldn't have thought of that, but as soon as she said it, I thought that sounds absolutely delicious. I mean, Karen, there was so much we learned from Karen about olive oil storage, how to use it, all kinds of things. Her knowledge was extensive. One of the funnier facts that she told us was that when you are buying olive oil, you actually want to buy from the bottom shelf as opposed to the top shelf, which if anyone's been in a restaurant industry, that's the exact opposite. The quality stuff is at the top shelf and the cheap stuff is at the bottom. But because of lights and heat rising in grocery stores, it's actually better for olive oil to be stored on the bottom shelf, which I thought was very interesting. She also talked about all the just fake olive oil that's out there, how easy it is to find extra virgin olive oil, quote unquote, on your shelf. And it could either have been shipped on a boat through hot weather, and it's really not going to maintain the flavor that extra virgin olive oil should. And even a lot of the scams out there of putting a few drops of extra virgin olive oil, it's not stamped by the California Olive Oil Council or any other real body. There's not a ton of regulation around it. So she said, you know, really check the label and buy something that, you know, is stamped by a reputable organization. No, and again, don't buy off the top shelf if we learned. If you do want to get your hands on some of that delicious olive oil, unfortunately, it is rather hard to find, but it will make your journey all the more worth it. You can find her occasionally at the Davis Co-op, or if you look down in the show notes below, we will link her website where you can order some of this delicious olive oil. Absolutely, and I was heartbroken right after this interview. I went to the Davis Co-op, and they were all out right there on the bottom shelf, the Bondolio label, all out, none left. So I emailed Karen and they're actually going to restock it this week. So hopefully I'll get some, and maybe by next Tuesday we can talk a little bit about what it was like to taste Bondolio olive oil. Oh, I was so ready to Venmo you for that olive oil. (laughs) I know. I sent you a crying, more like a screaming crying emoji with a picture of the label and the empty shelf. It was very disappointing. I was really looking forward to it. Anyway, and that popularity of her olive oil is something that Karen and her husband Malcolm never even really expected to happen in the first place. We never we never dreamt that Bondolio would become so sought after. We mm-hmm. sell every drop of oil that we make and people love our oil because it is unique for California. It's got a different flavor than most olive oils. I wanted a fruity oil. I wanted an oil that was could go with many different foods. Chef Nate at Zuni Cafe says we make the most versatile California olive oil that can be paired with all foods. Like he did a dinner for us to show us how versatile our oil was. He made a persimmon salad with goat cheese and pomegranate seeds and just poured our oil in with a little bit of salt, sea salt. It was so delicious. Then he made fish with our olive oil. He made that chocolate sorbet. He says it goes with everything. It's the most versatile California olive oil. Most oils in California are Spanish or Tuscan, which tend to be very pungent Mm -hmm. and more bitter. Uh, They go great with meats. But the average person is going to find that it's too bitter for them or too pungent for them. And I say our olive oil is a crowd-pleasing oil because once people buy us, they buy us forever. We have a repeat business all the time. Wow. I think you just got two more customers. Yeah, no, (laughs) 100%. 
Should have brought you guys a bottle. That's to all right. Taste. The Davis Food Co-op's not far from here, so no, um, neither is your farm. I'm definitely going to schedule yes. a tour. Yeah, we should go yeah, out we're, there. We're only open to the public one day a year, and that is the second Sunday of December, from ten to four, where we introduce our new oil every right. year. Yeah, we'll have to go do a live a and, live spot out there. And we we have an outdoor patio with big umbrellas that we imported from Germany that can withstand 90 mile an hour winds and so we have a pizza oven a wood-burning pizza oven so we're serving pizza we do an angel flight charity I don't know if you know who angel flight is but uh, my husband is a pilot and so he does fly for angel flight that he transports patients from rural areas to major medical centers, mm -hmm. children and adults for cancer, heart transplants, all kinds of diseases where they need to be in a major medical center. And so we do a charity for Angel Flight at that day, and we get a, a one-day liquor license that we can serve beer and wine. And so it's a fun day. Uh, we get a lot of people that show up. We have other vendors that show up that sell other products too it's a great christmas shopping uh, yeah. event that sounds phenomenal we'll pencil that in absolutely we import our own parmesan cheese in and vinegars from italy we buy other products from italy also from uh, manicretti foods in the bay area and itel foods in the bay area so we sell those products during that event also Man, you're killing me, Karen. It's 12.15. I haven't even... I know. <laughs> I'm ready for so focaccia olive oil and sea salt right now. I know. I cannot imagine having food, not having food in my life. Me too. I cooked all the chefs for Chez Panisse a lunch one day. Oh, wow. Was that nerve-wracking or was it... Uh, I was so intimidated. <laughs> they wanted to come up to learn about olive oil, and they were visiting us and Seca Hills, and um, so they visited us, and I said to Malcolm, I'm going to make them lunch, and they're not going to expect this. And I was really, really nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they loved it, and they sent me a, one of their menus with Bondolio on the menu and uh, signed it all. And I have that up in our tasting room because I was so proud of cooking them lunch. Malcolm's the pizza person, and we made a pizza with three different cheeses with caramelized onions and bacon for the pizza, and then I made a salad of with a sherry vinaigrette with our estate blend with mixed greens and took pears and baked the pears in butter, rosemary, and brown sugar, <laughs> oh my gosh okay keep going with a little bit of regatta cheese in the center of the um of the pear so that was the salad and then i made a fava bean soup with artichoke and poured our olive oil on top because the artichoke really goes well with mm. our olive oil and with with croutons cooked in olive oil butter and parmesan cheese uh 
starving right now. This is like the best torture ever. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and they loved, they ate everything. I was so afraid to make that lunch. And I was like freaking out. But then it came out. They they ate everything and they thanked me. They said no one had ever cooked for them before. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right. So we've talked so much about good food. Maybe we'll jump into our rapid fire questions, which the first one will be fun because the first question we always ask is, what is your favorite cheap guilty pleasure? We've been talking about very high-end, very high-quality foods, but do you have a cheap guilty pleasure food-wise? Hmm. In and out. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I cannot disagree. I love In and Out. That's mine as well. Yeah. It's a Tuesday night in town. Where would you want to go for dinner on a just an easy night out with Malcolm? The Osteria in Davis. Osteria, is it Osteria Fazula? Is that what yes. it's called? Yes. Mm-hmm. What is the dish you would go back in time and eat from your childhood? Hmm, there's so many things. <laughs> Maybe sweet and sour shrimp. My mother used to make that all the time when we were kids. I grew up very poor, and but once a month we would always go to a restaurant in Philadelphia, mm. and that was the one trip every single month that we used to do was go to a different restaurant to experience different foods in Philadelphia. Oh, that's great. <laughs> do you have a favorite recipe that you like to use your olive oil for? Oh, that one's hard. I have a million recipes. I think my homemade minestrone soup. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, Karen Bond of Bondolio Olive Oil, thank you so much for joining us on the Dine One Six. This was fascinating and fun, and we're starving now, and it was everything we could have hoped for, so thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome, and thanks for inviting me. It was fun. You will definitely see us at the uh, at the orchard soon, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of the Dine One Six. Neil, what did you think? I there was so much in there about olive oil. I knew interviewing someone who was an olive oil producer would be interesting, but man, I will admit I went into this episode thinking it was going to be a simple, clean, concise, you know, just a nice little appetizer of information. This was a whole meal of information. I was so blown away about her thoroughness and how how detail oriented she is and and how much she cared about the quality of product that she produced. It was really nice to see, and it's what I love to see in the food industry. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes these words like small farm or artisanal get thrown around and people want to roll their eyes, but when you meet someone like this who is really a true artisanal producer of an unbelievable product and you hear the backstory and the passion and the work that goes into it, I would certainly encourage anybody to go online and order some or check out that Bondolio event that's happening on December 11th. She talked about the one day a year you can go out to Bondolio after their main harvest and press and try some of the olive oil and try some of Malcolm's wood fire pizza. And if you want to have a good weekend, get some of that olive oil and then go back a few episodes and check out Andy's breads focaccia recipe. I bet those two would go hand in hand together quite well. Absolutely. You can relive Karen's moment of some toasted focaccia, a little bit of sea salt, get some thick like Malden salt Uh, or thick salt and uh, some of her olive oil. And uh, oh, yeah, that may be where we're headed after this. It's midnight, but uh, I might have to just get some bread and olive oil right now. I baked a fresh sourdough loaf this week that's sitting on the counter. So 
Well, if you like this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It really helps new people find the show. Or even better, we're a local show, so send it to some local folks. Send it to friends, family, people you know in the restaurant industry, and have them take a listen. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Both handles are at Dine16. And if you have any questions or suggestions or ideas, you want to know more about Bondolio or you want us to interview somebody, you can reach out to me at max at dine16.com. Also, I've said this in the past, but it's now finally there. You can listen to all our episodes on YouTube, if that's where you like to listen to podcasts, as well as anywhere you get your podcasts. Our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine One Six is a production of the Hear Me Now studio in Sacramento. Join us next week for a new guest. Until then, as always, eat something you love with someone you love.